0: Hey everybody, how we doing? Maybe. There we go. It's like you can hear it when it's not quite right. Alright, good to see all of you. We are um, in the season of Lent, which is the lead up onto the Resurrection Sunday, the highest, holiest day of the year, the one that we get all excited about. It's the reason for our faith. And uh, we are choosing to work our way through uh, John's Gospel. <coughs> and... This week, I was confronted again with the richness of John's work. Um, I, I found myself having, having to edit things out um, because I figured that we probably want to eat lunch today and not just breakfast and dinner, okay, because there's so much stuff I could have probably talked for quite, you're welcome, by the way, so yeah, uh, it's, it's an important thing. Um, but what, what we're doing is we're essentially working our way through Holy Week, You know, this lead up, um, you know, one week's time. We're taking 40 days to do it, but um, to to talk about it. But I would just encourage you to uh, crack open your Bibles and, and work your way through John 12 through John chapter 20. Uh, so you can kind of see where we're going. And and you'll understand when I talk about how we have to edit some things out, because my guess is as you read through it, you're going to, oh man, I hope he talks about this, or I hope he talks about that. And then, you know, we'll see. It's kind of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So uh, if you get a chance to do that, it might be good. Today we'll be in um, John chapter 14. If you get a Bible or Bible app, you might want to pop that in. Uh, if you don't, that's cool. I'll have it on the screen for you. It's all right. Um, but uh, if you want to become skilled at... Uh, Um, working your Bible, you may want to open that up. Remember, how many of you remember sword drills? Sword drills, right? Yeah, some of you do. Sword drills, go. All right, so here's the story so far. Jesus has entered the capital city of Jerusalem with a great deal of fanfare, and frankly, a whole lot of expectation on the part of certain um, members of the Jewish community. Uh, Quite exciting um, frankly. Um, he's spending time with his disciples, and whether they, whether they realize it or not, it is the last time he uh, spends significant time with them. And, and John, in his effort to convey the gravity of this set of circumstances, just crams this time full of teaching, in fact, um, if I'm not mistaken, I'd, I'd have to go back and double check, but I'm fairly certain that within the Gospel of John, this ha- contains the most of Jesus' teaching. Yeah, in Matthew, it's fairly easy to see it because it's a Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, Matthew chapter five through seven. Luke, is probably a Sermon on the Plain. But anyway, you, you find these blocks of teaching that are going on in the g- Gospels, but but here is where we find in Holy Week where where John just wants to, it's almost like, it's like, oh, i got to make sure that I get this in before we get to the end of the story type of thing. Um, it's very evident <clears throat> throughout all of that. Now, for reference, um, in uh, John chapter 13, Jesus very uh, humbly washes the feet of his disciples. And after that act, a conversation ensues, and we pick this up in John chapter 14, okay? Okay? So I'm I'm trying to kind of help you with the storyline here. We started in John chapter 12. I skipped over John chapter 13 just for time. And here we are in John chapter 14. So you can kind of see where this is going. So keep in mind, this is Jesus' last time with his disciples. Any significant amount of time, and there's a lot of teaching going on. Okay, Keep this in mind. And what he's essentially doing is he's trying to prepare this group of, of men and boys, frankly, for his eventual departure because he's not going to be here forever. And I think that he, he knows this to um, a certain degree. Um, and he talks about his father's house. It has lots of rooms. And, and yeah, there's, there's a song that goes with it, and you probably know it's playing in your head too. But, you know, big, big yard where we can play football. And, yeah, you know it. That's good. That's right. And then Thomas, the doubter, (laughs) and that would be awful to be known by by history to be the doubter. Okay, Thomas, the doubter, he he essentially says to Jesus, we don't get it. You're, You're going to this house and you want us to go there too, but we have no idea how to get there. We don't get it. You know, how do we know the way? That's his question. It's a great question. It's a question I think a lot of us ask, um, at least at some point in our life. And here's what Jesus says. You know it. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Real simple statement. I am the way. You want to know what the way is? I'm the way. Oh, and the truth. Oh, yeah, and the life, right? We have all of these things. Right here. See, here's the interesting thing, and I, w- I want you to think about this because a few years ago there was this big um, discussion going on how truth is relative. Have you heard this? Truth is relative to the circumstances. Truth is relative. Postmodernism, truth is relative. Well, I hate to tell you, folks, truth is relative, it's relative to a man named Jesus. It's not relative to anything else. It's relative to him, and here's the funny part of it, and this is the one that I think we forget often. You kind of got to be in relationship with him to understand what the truth is. Does that make sense? I remember there's a famous, uh, um, uh, I think he's a church historian, but he's kind of a theologian, and somebody somebody said to him, they accused him, you know what your problem is? Your problem is that truth is relative, and he says, yeah, it is relative to Jesus. In fact, if you can find absolute truth, you should probably go worship that because this Jesus guy can be a pain in the neck. And he can be because it's a relational type of thing and, and everything that Jesus um, spends... Uh, time doing with you personally is bespoke. It is couture. It is customized to you because he understands you and he wants to teach you specific things that he may not have for somebody else. So truth is relative, but is relative to that relationship. Are you with me? Keep that in mind. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Yeah, Thomas, I understand. You don't think you do, but you really do. You just keep following me and you'll eventually find your way. Now, Philip, who's another one of the disciples, he comes along and he basically says something else. He asks another question, more or less, but he says, hey, since you mentioned the Father, because he said, no one comes to the Father except through me, and he says, since you mentioned the Father, if you just show us the Father, then that'll be good enough for all of us. See how he's skirting the issue here? It's like, well, I don't know the way, but if you show me the Father, I'm going to be okay with that. That's going to feel good to my soul. I love what Jesus says in verse, in verse 9. Maybe. There we go. Nope. Whoa. Isaiah chapter 6. That's interesting. Yeah. There we go. Jesus answered, Philip, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, three years we've been hanging out, right? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Translation into 21st century English, are you new here? Are you you new? Wait, Wait a second, show us the Father. What do you think I've been doing for three years, Philip? Oh, I can only imagine how he felt kind of exasperated, kind of reminds me when you tell your kids to go find something and they're looking in the closet or looking in the pantry and they're yelling at you across the house and saying, I can't find it. And the first thing that you often say is, did you look? It's on the second shelf. Oh, there it is. Yes, there it is. Yes. Are you new here? I've been trying to show this to you the entire time goodness. But I I want you to notice where Jesus takes the conversation from there. They're having this discussion and and Jesus adds a little bit, takes them a little bit further, a little bit deeper. Here it is in in, uh, verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You know, let's, let's talk about this. Yeah, you want to see the Father. I, I want you to see this even deeper. I'm in him, he's in me. Or, at the very minimum, at the least, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Believe it on the evidence. If you don't fully understand what it means for me to be in the Father and the Father in me, then at least look at the evidence. Now remember, here's where we are in the book of John. Chapters 1 through 12 is the book of signs. The rest of 12 and all the way to the end is the book of glory. And what he's saying here is go back to the first 12 chapters. That stuff. That's the evidence that God and I, the Father and I, are working in harmony, working in conjunction, working converged together. It's like, Philip. This is what I've been doing. And if, you, and if you don't understand that, that's okay. At least look at the evidence. Okay? So there it is. Everything in chapters 1 through 12 is that evidence. And in some, <laughs> some ways, I've got to be honest, this, this little section here feels like kind of a chastisement. I mean, it's one of those duh moments. <laughs> like, come on, you know, keep up with me here. And yet, Jesus goes another step beyond this, too. He's constantly driving them deeper. He's always trying to call them and invite them to something more, something better. And here in verse 12, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, this relationship I have with the Father, believing on the evidence, everyone who believes in me will do the works I have been doing and will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That one's easy to gloss over. But this is really important, incredibly important, because this word um, greater in Greek is megas. It's where we get the term mega. I'm reminded every single time I uh, head downtown, mega millions. That's a lot. Mega. Interestingly enough, in Greek, As far as I can tell, mega here does not have anything to do with quality. It has to do with quantity. So it's not like you're going to do greater works. You're going to do something better than Jesus did, but you are going to do more than what Jesus did. And why not? There's 12 disciples. There's only one of him. It's simple math, folks. If there's more of you doing the things that Jesus did, there's going to be more. There's going to be a greater number, right? And so this is the point. You are going to do something greater. Not not quality, we're talking about quantity. You're going to see more of this happening because there's more of you to a certain extent. Megas. And I think what's being stated here is that the signs and wonders that Jesus performed and is talking about are for us too. I mean, Jesus says so right here. Notice how this goes on. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, some of you are automatically going, Lord, I would like that mega millions. That's not what we're talking about here. Maybe, but probably not. If what you ask is kingdom-oriented, you should expect God to move. You're not demanding. You're not requiring him to move. But if you are in the midst of something kingdom-oriented, if you know the way because you're connected to Jesus and there's something that Jesus can do that no one else can and you ask for it, you should expect it to occur. Are you with me? The prerequisite to all of this is it has to be kingdom-oriented. And I think that's where we get messed up. And here's the thing. You might want to write this down, because I'm going to give you a pro tip. Okay, here's the pro tip. Ready? If you want to see kingdom things happen, ask God what those kingdom things are, and just pray it back to him. Are you with me? But again, you gotta be in relationship with him in order to do that. Sometimes I think what we, we end up doing, very often, is that we have no connection to Jesus, we come up with a set of circumstances that are very disconcerting, that are very problematic, and we actually believe that Jesus can do something about it, but we have no idea what Jesus wants to do because we don't have a relationship with him. Are you with me? So there's a certain requirement here to be connected to Jesus more than just on Sunday. But to actually be checking in with him so that you have an idea of what the kingdom of God could actually possibly be. And when you find out what those things are, you pray those things back to him. Oh wow. And then look out what occurs at that point. You know, maybe what you could do is just ask ask him the question, hey God, what would glorify you in this? That's a great, great question to ask. Because it's relational. You don't get to decide, he gets to decide that. And I know some of you are dealing with stuff at work. I know some of you are dealing with stuff that might be you know, medical or might be health related, might be internal, it might be a relationship that's gone south with somebody that you know. I mean, it could be any number of things and you're really wondering you know, what your responsibility, what your role here is, and this is a great question, great time for you to ask the simple question, God, what would glorify you here? And I wanna pray that. I wanna say yes to you in advance. Let's start there, and then we'll see. We'll see what God does. Now, here's the other thing that you've got to understand. Okay, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And this is the part where we, it's risky. And one of the things that, I've noticed as a value of the kingdom, for whatever reason, is you have to be willing to feel foolish. You gotta be willing to feel foolish, really, to learn anything, don't you? And our flesh recoils against that. We don't like to look foolish. I hate it. I mean, I really, really hate it. But the fact of the matter is, if God wants to teach me something, I'm learning that I'm, I hate being ignorant more. And I don't wanna be ignorant of the things of the kingdom. I wanna understand those things and I have to risk being foolish. So here's how we'll do it. We'll do this in any number of ways, right? But here's a couple of ways that we, we try to guard ourselves from being foolish. This happens especially if we're praying for healing, okay? <clears throat> Lord, we pray for healing, but if you don't wanna heal, then we pray for the doctors and nurses. We're hedging. Now, please understand, God can choose to heal somebody any way that he, he wants to. If he wants to do doctors and nurses and medicine, that's cool. That's cool with me. But the fact of the matter is, is that the first and foremost is the kingdom orientation is Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Because that glorifies God. And if he wants to glorify himself another way, I believe he will tell you that. And that's alright. So, should you, if, when somebody comes to me and say, Hey, I got this doctor's appointment coming up, will you pray for that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to pray for that. I want to pray for that. But hey, tell me where it hurts. Let's pray about that too. Let's start there. I'll do both, but let's get a kingdom orientation that, that God is up to something and it has to do with his kingdom. And then we start. Um, asking the questions, this is, this is where we get this little, little voice inside of our head going, this is where the risk is, what if I pray and nothing happens? Oh, brothers and sisters, but what if it does? See, healing is not dependent on you. Healing is dependent on the Holy Spirit. If you don't take credit for the healing, then you don't have to take for the, the blame for anything else because God's up to something and you get to participate in that and that's it. So really the pressure's off. You ask God what will glorify him? We pray that back to him and we see what he's up to. So don't listen to that voice. Will I look will I look foolish? Will I look stupid? Will I look like an idiot? I tell you what, do it with a certain amount of humility and understand that it's not you, that you're just participating with something that God's doing. And then to top all of this off, I love this, Jesus gives all of us a shot of courage in this this little teaching that he's doing with his disciples. If you love me, keep my commands, which by the way, I'm just going to break it down for you. Here's the command, love each other. Okay, we're going to pick that up again later on, but that's the command just so that you know what it is. Uh, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. The word here is paraclete, it's a legal term, it means a counselor, somebody who um, argues on your behalf. Um, He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Ooh, that sounds good. I like that. The spirit of truth. I am the way, the what? truth and the life. That's right. Here's the spirit of truth. I'm going to give you that. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So it's not that you're just on your own. You can actually hear what God is saying because God resides in you. His spirit is in you and wants to have a conversation with you. So being in relationship with God is not that hard. It's not like we have to sit there and um, wait for him to pick up the phone. Because most likely when you, pick up, when you pick up your end of the phone, he's already talking if you're just listening to him. But that takes a certain amount of development. We all have to do that um, because remember, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, and sometimes that influences us. That rubs off on us, and we become dulled to the fact that God is speaking. And so we have to learn. We have to learn how to be sensitive to his voice, sensitive to his leading and his guiding, and that takes time and it takes connection, and that's what we've been talking about for the last three years is being in the presence of God so that you can learn how to do that. Yeah, you can't do this on your own. You do need divine empowerment, uh, empowerment that comes from time with God. Think of it this way. Uh, I, w- I was trying to think of a good illustration. But have you ever had one of those days where you're, you're just so busy, you don't have time to eat? Um, I don't know about you. That, that doesn't happen very often. But when it does, I end up with a couple of things. First of all, I get a headache. Hangry and sometimes i can feel my body shaking just a little bit cuz i don't have the right fuel you have to fuel your body now don't get me wrong sometimes we overfuel okay <laughs> we stick the gas thing in the gas tank and it's spilling out all over the place we all do that right but there are times where you've experienced this where you've you've been busy during the day you haven't um, you know, dealt with your regular meal or whatever it happens to be, and your body begins to tell you that something's wrong. Well, the the, the same thing is true for spirituality. <clears throat> it's the same same thing that goes on here is that you need that energy, you need that empowerment that comes from a relationship, an actual conversation with Jesus, and I I, I swear. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we think that we can be spiritual superheroes by filling the tank once a week. What do you think about that? I'm knowing that your body is not going to go like it can go if you're only filling it once a week. We need food and we need water. We need those things to sustain us. The same thing is true spiritually. We need to have that kind of connection in order to be in tune with what's going on around us. Now, don't misunderstand. I want to be real clear about this because it would be easy to walk out of here and and, uh, jump to some conclusions. If you believe in Jesus, I am not questioning your salvation. I'm not doing that. That, That's not what I'm doing. Um, First of all, That's not my place to judge. Um, I'm not qualified, and I don't want that job anyway, so I'm not not questioning that. But I might suggest that you're saved, but you've settled. You've settled for something less than what God has in mind for all of his kids. I I, I believe that, and I think the church is, I think that's, that's illustrative of the entire church. In many respects, I feel like we're saved, but we've settled for something less than what God has in mind. Jesus said the word greater. And I don't know about you, but when I read through the gospel of John, there's some really cool stuff in there. I mean, blind people see, lame people walk, evil spirits are sent packing. Oh my gosh. But have we become so desensitized to things like the miraculous or have we fallen for the lie that says, nope, can't happen. Not anymore. Don't try. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because there is nowhere in the scriptures that says that Jesus and his spirit are not still active. And the stuff that he did then is the stuff that is available for the church today. Period. So what if? I love what if questions. What if? What if? You carved out some time for Jesus. And what if you asked him some questions and he actually answered you? What would that be like? And what if he started cluing you in to stuff going on in your life, maybe relationships or people that you know or things that he has in mind for you or how much he feels about it? What if he started cluing you in on that? And what if he gave you insight into your friends and family some of you are going, oh, yeah, please, I could really use that right now. hmm I get it. And what if he prompted you to pray for someone's health and they were restored? Wouldn't that be cool? Isn't there a part of your soul that you really want to see that? I mean, just a little part of you? And there's a part of you that you're like, I don't, I don't know if I dare because it's not scientific. And we know how important science is right now, don't we? yeah. But what if there's a God out there who's just looking for people to say, hey, you want to connect with me? I got some things I want you to do, and it's going to be awesome. But that's what we're talking about here. When you connect daily to the way and the truth and the life, guess what? You become a waypointer. You become a truth teller, and you become a life giver. When you're connected to that, that's what you become. You become like Jesus and all of that. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Because right now it's just words, right? Let me see if I can illustrate this. It's risky, but it's awesome. And I know that I have a lot to learn, but I'm excited about it. So this last week, I spent uh, a couple of days in Florida Yes, suffering for Jesus, okay? I was in Florida with a group of, of pastors. So within um, our, our movement, the Church of God, um, there is a renewal that's happening. There are pastors like myself who believe that there is more in the Bible than what we're actually seeing in the churches. You've heard me complain about this before, right? And there's a group of us who are saying, we're, we're tired of that. We, we want to see all that God has kingdom minded for the whole church. That's what we want to see. And within the church it gathers about 100 pastors and 60 or so of them gathered together in, in Florida for a couple of days of teaching. But you know what, it really wasn't about the teaching. You know what it was about? It was about being in the room with people who felt the same way. Oh, you're chasing after God like this too? Tell me, what's he doing? I met um, a couple of women. Um, one uh, is a pastor in South Florida, the other one's a pastor in, in Tennessee, and they are doing some amazing stuff with homeless ministry. I mean, their churches are like, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 people, but they are doing more impact with homeless, and um, in one case, it's, I think it's a trailer park. People are getting healed saved. And in some ways, they say, I love being part of a smaller group of people because we're a little more nimble. We can react to things faster. And, and just listening to their faith was awesome. I mean, like kingdom sort of awesomeness here. Like you're doing the stuff that we find in, in the text. It was so cool just to listen to them talk about it. And there were story after story. These things were happening all over the place. And it was just fun to sit and talk to people about what was going on in their own ministries and in their own lives and their own discipleship. And, and we start with taking care of our discipleship first and allowing it to go from there. That's kind of the way we believe God is you know, leading us. So at the end of <clears throat> this two days, we started to talk about this idea of signs and wonders, the things that you see in the text. Here's the thing that I didn't know. But the miraculous, the pursuit of the kingdom, and the evidence in the miraculous has always been part of the Church of God from the very beginning. In fact, the story goes that D.S. Warner, the founder of the Church of God, when he started to learn about this, preached a message on being filled with the Holy Spirit, and when he was done, was the first one at the altar asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And some of you remember the traveling evangelists, the traveling healers, you remember these. And there's this group that's saying, we want to recapture that because we think that's what, what God wants. And I just, I can't, I can't help. And I look at a divided world where the extremes are just at each other's throats. And I'm like, people are looking for something to hold on to. They are ripe for a demonstration of not this fake sort of who can, uh, can outmaneuver and out clever who. They are looking for true power. And I'm telling you, the true power comes from one source. So at the end of this, um, talking about the, the notion that there are miraculous things that occur in the text. And we're not talking about being Pentecostal or charismatic, we're talking about being biblical, that's it. How do we follow suit with what's going on in the Bible itself? And uh, I give our leader uh, credit, he was, uh, he was very cautious when it came to all of this, and I I walked up to him afterwards and I said, you need to understand something, that there is no revival in history that hasn't offended somebody. And you just need to be prepared for it. But during that time, he had uh, three couples, all of whom have done uh, sort of prayer ministries. Um, And just opened it up and said, hey, if anybody wants some prayer about anything, these folks are here for you. Now tell you. <clears throat> I'm standing there in my chair like this. And the worship music was, was, was great, um, and I, I really appreciate it, but I'm standing there. I'm holding on to the chair like it's going to fall over or something. I don't know what it was. I don't know what was bothering me, but um, so g- a quick story. I've had an impinged shoulder for uh, several months right now, and then um, during the last ice, uh, snow and ice storm that we had, uh, I was taking the garbage out, and I took a spill, <clears throat> and I landed on my right side and it was one of those moments where, um, you know, you're laying on the ground. I don't know, maybe you haven't done this, but <clears throat> I, I grew up up north, and so laying on the ground because of snow and ice is not unusual. But I'm laying there, and, and I'm just looking up at the sky, and I do a quick mental inventory. I'm like, okay, is anything broken? Nope, okay, I'm good. I'm getting cold. Oh, yeah, that's right, I'm on the ice, right? So you need to get up and you need to move. But then I thought, oh, did I jar my shoulder at all? I'm like, no, that feels okay, and, and so I got up, and walked in, and I was limping a little bit, and Lisa's like, what's the matter with you? And I said, well, (laughs) gravity sucks. (laughs) And and she said, oh, I get it. So anyway, a couple days later, my shoulder got really bad. I did jar it. I I don't know how, but I did something, and I jarred it. And really, it hurt to move. And uh, uh, let me tell you, the airlines now cram as many people as they can on a flight. So you're doing this which is really not good for a shoulder that hurts, right? You end up like this kind of a thing. So when I got to Florida, I actually ended up taking the anti-inflammatory to help me, um, help me to sleep so that I'd be you know, coherent <laughs> the next day. And uh, I'm standing there and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like maybe I should go and get that prayed for. And I argued with myself, Now nah, you're good. No, you're not, you're not good, that hurts. And then I thought to myself, God brought me here. Wouldn't I want the fullness of what God wants? Even, even if nothing happens, I'm still going to go get prayed for because it's available. So I go marching up there and I uh, ended up in front of um, a ministry couple. They, they work in Arkansas. Uh, Casey and Diana Graves. And um, Casey is about six six, three, six, four, and his wife's like 4'10". And let me tell you, she was running the show. And they asked me, like, what's going on? I said, I got problems in my low back, but right now it's my shoulder. Okay, well, we're going to pray for those. Cool. And so they start praying. And I'll tell you, there was nothing showy about it except the look on her face. She had this joyful look on her face that I just, I envy. I envy that. And she goes, okay, what's going on? And I start moving my shoulder. I'm like, well, that's better. She goes, on a scale of one to 10, what was it? I said, "It was probably about a six or seven, depending on what movement. She goes, okay, where is it now? I'm like, it's about a four. Well, let's keep praying. Okay. So we keep praying. By the time they were done praying, just a few minutes, I didn't have any pain. Now again, I didn't fall over, I didn't start convulsing, I didn't didn't do anything like that. I just moved my shoulder and it felt better. And so they prayed over me again, I left, I said thank you, and I went to call my wife. (laughs) She said, wait, what? (laughs) I said, yeah, my shoulder is better. Now, I'll tell you, I still have some stiffness, but that's just an invitation to pray more, right? I still have some stiffness. That's okay. I'm okay with that. Because it was a six or seven, and now it's a one or two. I'm going to testify to the work of the Lord on my shoulder, even though it may not be what I would call perfect, it's better. And I'm gonna continue to do that. Now, here's the cool thing. I'm on the phone with my wife, and next thing you know, somebody comes out from the room, because I stepped out to make the phone call, and they said, hey, they're looking for you looking for me? Why are they looking for me? So I walk in and Casey, big dude, is doing this. Come here, come here, come here, come here. I'm like, okay. So I go walking up there. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And like, you just got healed in your back and your shoulder. This gentleman here has got a back problem. You need to pray for it. I said, cool, let's go. And so we asked him a little bit about his back, right in the center of his back. You could tell, He'd he'd been through some stuff and whatnot, and so, you know, scale of 1 to 10, where is it? It's about a 7 or 8. Okay, we started praying. By the time we were done, he was at a zero, and he was moving around. I didn't feel anything funny. I didn't, you know, it was nothing like that. It was just a very natural sort of thing that God was present, and he was doing some work. I got a chance to talk to the guy afterwards. An amazing conversation. Serves in central Illinois. He's had some stuff go on in his church. Because there's no ugly like church ugly sometimes. But here he was looking for God to, to answer him so that he could get back into the fight. I will say this out loud. That is a foxhole I will climb in 10 out of 10 times. There's this kingdom and there's this power and there's this glory that he wants to show his people. It's not all about the fight and about the struggle. It's also about victory and overcoming and it's seeing cool things happen, and it's feeling less pain, and it's taking away fear, and it's tearing down shame, and all those things that keep us from being the human beings that he's created us to be, greater things that I've done here. Yeah, I want that. That's what I want, and I will testify to those things. Remember, he said this. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And sometimes I think we still feel like orphans. We are not abandoned by God to the cruelties of the world, not by a long shot. In fact, in, in a couple of places, Paul tells us you're not orphans. You are adopted as daughters and sons of a living God. And this Holy Spirit is a deposit, a down payment on the inheritance that you're going to receive as a child of God. And it's active right now. It's not something you got to wait for. It's something that's going on right now. The Holy Spirit's presence and power are the deposit of our inheritance, and you have access to that if you just connect. And it strikes me that the best thing to do here is not to squirrel away this power and this opportunity for another day. Because I don't know if you realize this, it's raining, this is the rainy day. This is why this has been given to us is that we've, we've got circumstances in our world today and you've got them in your lives and I know this because I talked to you. This is the rainy day to pull out all that God has in mind. It's time for us to take some risks for the kingdom and the first thing you have to do is you have to risk your time and your schedule to say I'm going to carve out and spend some time with Jesus I'm not trying to shame you I'm not trying to make you feel bad I'm just saying don't settle don't settle find a way to carve a couple of minutes at least and then grow from there to simply say oh God what you got cooking today and can I be a part of it The interesting thing is God is looking for partners. He's looking for people that who want to do this stuff with him. Oh, it couldn't be me. Ah, that's your shame talking. Stuff it. You don't need that. You don't need that shame telling you that. Instead, presume that God is inviting you and just ask him where. See what happens. Could go on and on about this, but I think we need to sing. And I think we need to invite Holy Spirit to be with us today and to lead and guide. Because, by the way, Thrive Church is his church. I just happen to be the associate. But he gets to decide what happens here. He's the one who gets to decide the types of things that we do. And so far, I'm not disappointed. Heavenly Father, you're so good. You're so good. And we declare that you are the king. You're the head of Thrive Church. We also declare that we are gathered today in your name. And by your word, we know that you are here. We declare out loud that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we desire nothing more than to be waypointers, truth-tellers, and life-givers, just like Jesus. And we're not after the miraculous, but if the miraculous shows up, we are great with that because it's about your kingdom and the things that you want to do and about the glory that you're so deserving of. We've had a shot at this world. Keep messing it up. But you still have grace and you have mercy for all of us and we need it. We need it desperately. And the people here that are gathered here in this moment. Keep showing up for one reason or another, and I believe it's because you're present. Lord, we enjoy your presence. If you choose to show up and do some cool things, we'll enjoy that too. But you're the giver of all good things. Your Holy Spirit is the first gift and we desire more of that first gift. We want to get the order right. Presence precedes power all the time. And we want the presence. So as we sing, as we respond to you, Holy Spirit, come.